Section nine of Mornings at Bow Street by John White. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Sunday's Ride. Mr. Lester, a respectable elderly man of considerable property, residing at Battersea Rise, applied to the magistrate for an assault warrant against a person whom he described as a high flying linen draper carrying on business in parliament street the warrant was granted upon his affidavit and mr highflyer was shortly after brought up in custody but as the magistrate has been called from the bench for a few minutes he sees that opportunity of making an atonement for his misconduct to the party complaining and so escaped the sessions though the assault and outrage he had committed were certainly most sessionable it appeared that this mr highflyer had determined on taking his spouse for a ride in a gig we beg his pardon in a tilbury one sunday and that they did take a ride in a tilbury accordingly they trotted gaily along in the connubial comfort till they had almost reached battersea rise but there all the connubial comfort evaporated for whether it was that the motion of the tilbury swung away mr highflyer's ordinary notions of connubial concord or whether the expansion of prospect around him produced a corresponding expansion of the amatory principle within him we know not but so it was that about a quarter of a mile on this side battersea rise he bowed very gallantly to a pretty young woman who was passing and she familiarly nodded in return now this might be all very innocent but his wife thought otherwise and she took so much umbrage at it that high words ensued in short the green-eyed monster took possession of all her perceptions and mr highflyer in the buoyancy of his heart and tilbury carried it with such a high hand so cavalierly as it were that his lady declared she would not ride another inch with such a faithless creature and insisted upon his setting her down directly and cruel mr highflyer did send her down instanter instead of trying to pacify her and convince her of her error he coolly set her down and drove on without her this was nearly opposite mr lester's house on battersea rise and as mr lester looked through his window he saw the lady sitting on a low wall by the roadside weeping and sobbing most piteously mr lester though as sturdy a john bull as ever thrust carver into smoking sirloin has much of the spirit of chivalry in his composition and seeing a lady in such a distressing situation he sallied forth and offered her a temporary asylum in his hospitable little parlour the weeping lady thankfully accepted his offer but he had no sooner seated her carefully on a sofa than she fell into hysterics and it required all the skill of his wife his daughters and his handmaidens to bring her to her senses again she did recover however but it was only to renew her sighs and tears and neither mr lester nor his wife knew what to make of it when a thundering rap at the door nearly shook all the glass out of the windows and in the next moment mr highflyer stalked loftily into the parlour at the sight of him mrs highflyer went off into hysterics again and mr highflyer in his endeavours to recover her from the fit 
conducted himself so at homishly that mr lester did not half like it he called about him for all sorts of things tore the sofa cover threw the cushions about the room upset the china tea things and broke the pole of the fire screen at length mr lester's anger got the better of his hospitality and he reminded mr highflyer that he was not in his own house damn the house exclaimed mr highflyer what the devil do i care whose house it is i am a gentleman and nothing else and i shall do what i like here or anywhere else no sir said the astonished mr lester no sir you shall not and no gentleman would have done as you have done already i faith this was enough the words had scarcely passed mr lester's teeth when three of those teeth were loosened to their very foundation by a blow from the gentlemanly fist of mr highflyer take that sir said he and if you don't like it i'll fight you with either sword or pistols the astonished mr lester was still more astonished at this treatment but being no match in thews and sinews for mr highflyers he flew to the poker and had it not been for the interference of the ladies mr highflyer would doubtless have been laid low as it was the affair went off in a clamorous palaver after which mr and mrs highflyer returned to town in the tilbury highly dissatisfied with their day's pleasure and mr lester went to bed wondering that there should be such queer people in the world it was reported among the officers that the peace offering for all this was ten sovereigns and if so mr highflyer got off cheaply disappointed love mr owen mccarthy appeared in custody before the bench to answer the complaint of mrs margaret reading spinster mr owen mccarthy is five feet two without his shoes and sixty-seven years old but as he himself observed sound as the big bell of st paul's both in mind and body the lady has seen sixty-five winters pass by and in all that time she has so conducted herself that no living creature can say black is the white of her eye at least that is her opinion and surely she ought to know it appeared by her evidence that mr owen mccarthy and she reside under the same roof and have for many years been upon the most friendly terms till an evil hour mr owen mccarthy who was then a widower took unto himself a second love a second wife he called her but mrs margaret reading declared it was no such thing well the second wife or mistress be it which it will according to mrs margaret reading's account it is a born devil and takes every opportunity of treating mrs margaret reading in the most ridiculous manner such as calling her a frumpish old fool spitting at her as she goes up and downstairs and in all this mr owen mccarthy forgetting the kindness that formerly existed between them encourages her one day mrs margaret reading went up to their apartment determined to give them the telling of some of their faults but she had scarcely opened her mouth when mr owen mccarthy bounced up from his chair and gave her such a push that she tumbled down rolled on to the landing-place and it was god's mercy she did not trundle downstairs this was the assault complained of she called upon the magistrate to punish him swearly mr owen mccarthy in his defence said may it please your honour when the wife that i had twenty-seven years died this old woman and another was living in the place 
and they both made love to me extremely. But I thought to myself, thinks I, your honor, sure, and what would I do with two old women at one and the same time? Well, then, your worship, says I, in that case, I'll only have one of them, and that will be Judy McCraw, because, your worship, she was the comelier one of the two, and I learnt she's the best character for peaceableness, and I married her, and, saving your worship's presence, she's my lawful wife at the same time, and like to be, sure enough, to the end of it. Well, your honor, because of this, Mrs. Reading bothered me extradingly, and wouldn't be quiet for her jealousy, and was always making corruptions between me and Mrs. Owen McCarthy, that is, and so, when she combed up with her philaloo botheration about nothing in the world, but I wouldn't save her. I put my hand out and go along with you, Mistress Margaret, says I, and with that she laid herself clean down on the floor and rolled herself out of it just in no time, your honor, at all. Mrs. Margaret had nothing to say against this, and she was non-suited. Tom Cribb and the Coppersmiths the champion of england not he who gallantly armed rode proudly through the ranks of assembled chivalry and challenged the world in defence of his sovereign but the champion of england's prouder pugilism the belted hero of the prize ring the man whose fist is fate the in a word honest tom cribb entered the office covered with mud and holding in his giant grasp a little well bemudded wriggling coppersmith named william bull and please your worships said the champion this here little rascal shaking him comes into my tap-room with two or three dirty chaps of the same sort and got so sweet upon themselves with drinking beer that they must needs go into the parlour to drink grog amongst the gentlemen your worships and because i wouldn't stand that this here little rascal shaking him again smashes two panes of glass to shivers and then tried to bolt but it wouldn't do the champion was desired to lose his hold upon the coppersmith which he did instantly but he still regarded him with a look of angry indignation whilst the saucy little coppersmith adjusting his disordered jacket exclaimed my eyes mr tommy let us ever catch you at bristol again and we'll zarve you out for this Mr. Bull, Bill Bull, he called himself, was ordered to be quiet, on pain of being instantly locked up, and other witnesses of the affair were examined, by whose evidence the champion's account of it was fully substantiated, with an additional circumstance or two, which he, with his usual modesty, had omitted to mention, viz. that he, with his own right arm, cleared his house of three cocks comical coppersmiths in a minute and that when the fourth mr bill bull milled the glaze and bolted the champion himself pursued with the fleetness of a wild elephant caught the scampering coppersmith by the scuff of the neck and falling with him to the earth they rolled over and over in the mud till the impetuous of their fall was spent and then they got up again and this was the way in which they came to be so muddily encased. The coppersmith had nothing to say for himself except that he thought himself 
as good a man as Mr. Tommy any day, and that he had as much right to drink grog in a parlor as any other gentleman. The magistrate commended the champion's conduct, told him he should be protected from insult and outrage in his business, and ordered the pot valiant coppersmith to be locked up until he should pay for the windows he had demolished. Solomon and Desdemona An elderly man, brown as a fresh roasted coffee berry, a pole that bespoke him of the race of wandering gypsies, and the darkness of whose oriental eye accorded with his gypsy origin, advanced towards the table, bowing at every step, and said, May it please your worship's honor. I'm Mr. Lovell, your worship. Another bow. Knife-grinder and chair-bottomer, your worship. Having so said, he smiled and bowed again, and then, shading the lower part of his brown, shining visage with his rusty hat, he stood smiling and bowing, and bowing and smiling. But whatever else he had to say, refused to be said. At length, seemingly to his great relief, the magistrate asked him what he wanted. Your worship, I am Mr. Lovell, the knife-grinder, your worship, and I wants you to give me a little bit of assistance to get me back to my wife, vot I ver lawfully buried to last Monday ver a week, and Soreditch Church. That's vot I wants, your worship. Yours is a very unusual application indeed, friend, said the magistrate. I am frequently requested to part man and wife, but I do not recollect that I was ever once asked to bring them together. Vell, your worship, replied Mr. Lovell, but mine's a wery hard case, a wery hard case indeed. Here's the certificate, your worship. His worship told Mr. Lovell he wanted no voucher in proof of what he said. He opened the certificate, however, and found it fairly set forth therein, that on a certain day specified, Solomon Lovell Bachelor and Desdemona Cox Spinster were duly married by bands in Shoreditch Church. And pray, what is become of the gentle Desdemona? asked his worship, as he returned the certificate to Mr. Lovell, who instantly crammed it back again into the sow-skin purse from which he had taken it, and then having deposited it safely in the very bottom of his left-hand breast-pocket, he proceeded to lay open his entire grievance. It was a lengthy and rather unconnected narrative, but we gathered from it and that Mr. Solomon Lovell absolutely loved the gentle Desdemona, and but for that he would not his unhoused free condition have put into circumscription and confine not on no account whatever but the friends of desdemona who were in the costermongering line thought the match too low for her and they had not been united more than three happy days when those friends cruelly contrived to enwiggle her away from his arms and shut her up in a garret in charles street drury lane where they still continued to detain her in spite of her unceasing tears and his most earnest remonstrances of what age is the lady asked the magistrate your worship she'll be forty-three come a fortnight at her next bartomley fair then she is no chicken and she certainly could come to you if she was inclined to do so no your worship she's no chicken but she's desperate tender though and they'd kill and murder her if she wasn't to keep herself quiet 
Is she very disconsolate under her bereavement? Anon, your worship, said Solomon. Does she grieve much? Oh, desperately, as your worship may naturally suppose, when we'd only come together three days. Is she very handsome? This was a question which seemed rather to bother the love-lorn Solomon. He simpered and sighed, and looked down, and looked up, and nibbled the edge of his hat, and when the question had been repeated the third time, he replied, I don't know exactly, your worship, she's reckoned so, and I reckon, I reckon I wouldn't a married her if I didn't think so, your worship. After some further question and reply, in which he earnestly entreated that an officer might be sent with him to enforce his claim, and get the gentle Desdemona out of the garret by force of arms, the magistrate told him he could do nothing for him, whereupon he gathered up his features into a frown, put the lid upon his knowledge-box, and stalked out of the office, exclaiming, Then by gollies, I'll go to Marlborough Street, for I won't be diddled out of my wife in this air manner, howsomever. End of section 9